Welcome to the Life After Teaching podcast. Before we begin um, with with our content for our first episode, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction to who we are and why we're doing what we're doing. So my name's Sarah um, and I have a partner in crime in all of this, um, a wonderful woman called Sharon who I um, credit for picking me up and dusting me off and getting me back on the right track in the last um, year or so. Sharon and I are uh, both ex-teachers, similar levels of experience. Um, Sharon was was a middle leader, I got to senior leadership level um, but both of us in, in different ways left the profession um, in what could be described as quite a brutal manner. Um, both of us very different experiences but ultimately with the same outcome which is that um, we were out and we were broken. So a few weeks ago um, in in conversation we decided that we would um, that we really wanted to do something to bring teachers who were experiencing similar things to, that we'd experienced um, together and to provide a safe forum for them to offload um, but also to provide some content for them that would that would inspire them in terms of um, career change, how they might um, progress into private sector jobs or um, self-employment for example and also inspirational stories about people who'd done exactly that. In addition to that we also have made it a very clear part of what we're doing that that we interview um, people who've got advice and guidance that can help people with a number of different um, aspects of, of what they need to do in order to um, pick themselves up up and dust themselves down and um, plan for their futures. So we've had a number of interviews with with former teachers, with wellbeing advisors, with coaches, um, people who've gone on and set up their own wonderful little bookshops. Um, We've had solicitors arguing pension and wills advice, financial advisors and so on and so forth. So you get the idea. Um, the reason why we've done that is it feels very obvious and this is one of the things that, that we're going to talk about in this first episode that um, the longer you're in the teaching profession quite of- often the more likely it is that you um, lose your independence as an individual in terms of figuring things out and um, making decisions about what's best for you and there are a variety of reasons for that and there will be endless discussion about these things as we um, begin to build our library of podcasts up. One of the things that I think Sharon and I have both been absolutely staggered by in the last six weeks is the the willingness of um, our community members to support each other, to be champions for each other when they're not necessarily feeling that they can champion themselves, the willingness to share advice and, and personal experience and for a great many of our group members, um, the group is the 
the first place or the, the first time that, that they've actually felt able to share their experiences. One of the other key things that I am personally intending to do um, on behalf of the group is to act in a much more significant way on the behalf of teachers up and down the country in terms of the the very many ways that, that well-established experienced teachers seem to be manoeuvred out of the workplace and there will be more on that to come. I'm currently in the research phase. So at the request of group members, in addition to video content and, and a whole sort of um, plethora of different media such as articles and, and such like, um, there's been a request for a podcast so that um, group members can download and listen whilst they're out driving and so on and so forth. So this is our first one. Um, it's a combination of recordings and extracts of recordings that have been done over, over the previous six weeks and it may well be a little bit rough and ready in the first instance because it is our first um, foray into the world of podcasting. So um, have a listen, we'd love your feedback if you feel that there is something that you could offer to us in terms of um, jumping on for an interview, offering advice and guidance or anything at all, then please, please, please do get in touch with us. You can find our Facebook group um, at Life After Teaching, Exit the Classroom and Thrive on Facebook. It is a private group, so you will need to answer some questions when you come into that group. Um, and in there you'll find all sorts of um, links and such like to other content that we've got. So I hope that you find it useful, entertaining, at times it might be a bit raucous, occasionally there might be an odd swear word and if there are things within the episode that may potentially act as a trigger to people we will let you know in our introductions and in the details of the podcast. So here we go, starting with Sharon and I having a little chat about how teachers devalue themselves. One of the things I wanted to talk about was um, the fact that teachers do not realise that they are multi-skilled because they just think they're teachers and that, that I've been thinking about it loads over the last couple of days and I think it's because of, because of the conversations you and I have been having about me um, that I, I was walking to the osteopath this morning and thinking if a teacher had to sit down and list all of the things that they did, yeah, just in terms of, you know, these are the tasks that I do. And then you translated that into a skill set, which is what yeah. I did with my brother last year. It's staggering how much stuff people are doing that they don't realize that other it's people It's because don't they think they just have one job. Yeah. 
I just had one job and I was a teacher. I've read on um, some posts that what they've actually said is, um, what do I put on a CV? Because I've only had one job. Well, you, you, you put a massive, mm. yes, you've had one job, but look at the job you've had. Mm. That's what I did. I just wonder if I can find my CV. Um, because when I actually broke down, like, the fact that I'd managed, much to my chagrin, but I'd managed target setting, I did all the data analysis. Um, Even something as simple as the fact you can work an Excel spreadsheet. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, it, and, you know, there are very, very many people out there who can't work in Excel spreadsheet yeah. and can't use PowerPoint. What you can't do, though, is you can't leave a teaching job after 26 years and think you're going to walk into a single job that is going to pay you that amount of money. Correct. That's the difference. But what it doesn't do is preclude you from a whole host of different things. Um, I, I'm just still... I think what's get, getting to me at the moment about the group and, and it, it keeps coming through more and more. And this is the bit that stuns me where people have said, I've never talked about this before. No, I've never, t- one of the most, one of the single most traumatic events of their lives. Mm. And they've never talked about it. They, they've talked to their partners or they might've told a close friend, but generally, They've not talked about what's been going on. They've not offloaded it externally to their environment, have they? No. It's. Um, I think it's shame. I do, and 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 fear as well. Who do, who do you offload to? Because if if you if you offload to occupational health, I mean, my experience with occupational health was very positive, actually, mm. um, and. I know that in our authority, they tracked referrals and, and kind of did monitoring about whether there were patterns forming. Um, but some people's experience of occupational health is that it's a stick to beat them with um, and they don't get any support from it. Oh, I, think think, what, I think what they're using occupational health for now is to tick a box. Yeah. We sent them to occupational health, tick, yeah. now we can get short. But... And I, I do think there's fear. I think I, I've just signed up today. Um, I've been thinking about it for months, but I've signed up today with um, an organisation called Time to Change, who are national about supporting um, breaking the stigma to do with mental health right. and encouraging people to talk openly about their own personal experiences. So it's not counselling. Um, and the, the agenda is change change the conversation and, and break the stereotypes um so i've been doing i've been doing my online training this afternoon and that's that's one of the reasons why i've done it now is because i'm ready to talk about my own experience and that by talking about it that helps me but also um if people who've lived it don't talk about it it's gonna stay as it is where people don't talk about it um and it's you know it's not going to be a quick shift to i do i think it's fear i think it's just that fear of being labeled i also think it's a generational thing as well Mm -hmm. because 
for years and years, my mum would say things like, oh, she struggled with her nerves and she was, and it is something that is associated with a weakness. Yes, and it's yes. also been associated years gone by with something that you choose. Well, I don't know why they just don't pull themselves together. We had it even, even when Robin Williams died. Mm. Why would he do that when he's got all that money? Mm. He always seems so happy. Yeah. Mm. And, 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 and I, I know we've got a long way to come. And I think one of the things that's keeping this contained more than anything is, you know me feeling on NDAs. Mm. You know you don't get me started on them. Because I think that's... You don't get me started on the complicity of the unions either. Mm. But I also think when people come out the other side, I think this is where it's hard for a teacher who's come out of teaching and they've come out and they are struggling i don't like the expression suffering with your mental health because suffering makes it look like struggling you've still got some fight left in you mm. when they come out and they're struggling with their mental health it's because at some point it was probably one of the greatest achievements mm. yeah. my dad my dad would drop it in any given chance have you seen our sharon who is a teacher mm. she's the one and he would drop it into the midst of every single conversation because the pride, particularly if, like me, you were first-generation university, uh -huh. to, yeah. to actually be that teacher with parents who looked up and revered the teaching profession, to then come back 20 years later and say you're leaving, uh -huh. why, why on earth would you do that? And uh -huh. suddenly, you know, you've lost a massive chunk of your identity. Uh -huh. Hello, are we ready to go? Yeah. Superb. I've really looked forward to this one because this is with my old friend, Stacey Hughes. And we go back many, many years, do we not, Stacey? Yes, please don't emphasise the many because it makes me feel very old. I think, I think why I'm so looking forward to speaking to Stacey more than anything is this headline information. Stacey has worked in over 10 schools in in the UK and currently in Australia where she is now. And out of those 10 schools, Stacey, how many of them have you not had a circumstance that has led to some form of union movement? That would be one school, Sharon. <laughs> not including the one that I'm in at the moment because I'm, I'm new there and that's wonderful. Excellent. But out of all my previous schools, one school. One school. So would it be fair to say that you've had your fair share of toxic environments? I would think I've had more than my fair share. And as a result, I'm really looking forward to your insight into this, in, into this particular area that we're uncovering more and more as time goes on as a massive problem. So Stacey, start by, for Sarah's benefit more than anybody, give us a little pricey of, of your teaching experience, where you've been, your subject, that kind of thing. Give us a context. Okay, so I qualified as a middle school teacher back in 2002. Um, I specialised in design technology and ultimately became a food and textiles teacher. However, due to my training, I was not very good at being pigeonholed and felt that I had more skills that I could offer schools. So I've also taught quite a bit of English along the way as well. So that's pretty much my teaching context, food, textiles and English. Okie doke. So why is it, Stacey, do you think, 
that I've yeah. ended up in toxic schools. Yeah. Because unfortunately, Sharon, I think that most schools are toxic. And what that is, what, is what bottom is line. School? What do you think? So a school is? where teachers are overworked, where they are stressed, where they are deeply unhappy, and where people pretend that everything is okay, and yet the problem is with the actual teacher. They just put blindfold on to the issues that are going on around, whether it's challenging behaviour, whether it's workload, and just, it's almost like living in a another universe where we just pretend that these things aren't impacting anybody at all. Where the most, so therefore, where the most abhorrent behaviours are normalised. Absolutely. Where you suffer like, oh, don't worry about it, that's just the way she is. Yes, but yeah. also with, with students who have very, very challenging behaviours where the school are absolutely petrified of Ofsted coming in. And then when Ofsted come in and they don't get, um, say they get requires improvements, it used to be satisfactory. And they say, oh, we think we, we deserved good. And everybody's sitting looking at each other thinking, what planet are you on? We were terrified we were going to get less than requires improvement. And now you're saying that you thought we were going to get good. Like, you know, let's be real here. Yeah. So in particular, speaking personally, who have you come across within your working life? Give me the profile of the kind of person who you have clashed with that has resulted in some of the confrontations that you've had to endure okay so first of all i'd like to say i tend not to clash and i don't like confrontation although i feel that i do end up having a clash and it does end result in confrontation and very sadly i must admit that most of them are women most of the people that i've clashed with or had a difference in opinion with have all been women I've never, ever had, in my experience, a problem with a male member of staff. A senior male member of staff, I can say things to that is fine, and then I'll go to a woman, and it's not fine. Mm. And that's my experience. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's the part where there's not, you know, women give up the part of their careers to have children and they leave the workforce, and then they return to the workforce, and, you know, the male counterpart has gone over and above them, and then it's catch-up time, or you've got more financial um, circumstances, and you need, you know, that bigger pay, so they'll go for the promotion, and then it's almost like, I've got this, I'm in power, and I need to prove that I'm good enough to be here, and instead of just taking it as a natural step mm. and, and using your own natural abilities to manage people, you're putting people in power who've got no experience whatsoever of managing people. And nobody trains any teacher no. to become a manager. I've you said that. I've said that. Yeah. One day you're an English teacher, next day you're second in department, and the only thing Yeah, and changed. you're in charge of five people, and those five people are coming to you with A, B, C, D, and E, and then it just gets too much, and you've got the pressures at home. The so kids then do you know what you do? Balance. When you realise you're out of your debt, you go for another promotion. Absolutely. And, then- and the more you, the worse you are, excuse me, 
<coughs> the more promotion you get. Yeah. Do you do you think that that <coughs> Sorry. As, as people get promoted, particularly yeah, particularly women, that they kind of lose a little bit of, of humanity, a little bit of empathy. Absolutely. Kind of the the empathy just goes out of the window. It really, really does. And it's like it's almost as though it's first in, last out, you're okay. Anybody else, you know, because a lot of women make a lot of sacrifices mm. for promotion and they really do. They they live for their job mm. and they sacrifice their family and their friends and their home life. Yeah. So I suppose maybe there's a part of it is, well, I'm doing it and I'm sacrificing all this. Mm. But don't come to me telling me that you need to pick your child up because well i need to pick mine up yes that, that's one you've of got the things, you've gone for the promotion that's one of the things that i found most difficult i think as a senior leader um was retaining that humanity so so always treating other people the way i would want to be treated and and i found i did a video yesterday where where i said i actually find it very difficult to treat myself with the same level of respect that I treat other people and I realized that makes made me unusual as a senior leader it also made me the one that everybody came to because because they knew that they would get support on a genuine level rather than some sort of platitude or a, or an absolute no you can't do that and and that's hard and I think yeah I think I think if you if you look into why this happens when somebody gets promoted to the position particularly me middle leadership uh, yeah. or the assistant head yeah and I think this is where the I think this is where it becomes okay and it's not perceived by that individual that they are bullying that they are being toxic because they have it drilled in from the top that this is about the school this is about the kids. So morally, that middle leader doesn't think they're bullying. They think what they are doing is for the greater good of that school. And if you just so much happen to be a casualty of that as the individual, so be it. Because this isn't personal. No, and isn't I've heard that. I've heard that in jobs. I've heard, well, this is the way this school does it. And this is the, the it's school. It's not personal. And it, no, and it's like, you know... We work with people. We're a people-skilled profession. Ah, but the problem is the children's needs come before the needs of the teachers. And therefore, that's how people who are consistently behaving in this way genuinely do not think they have done anything wrong. They're not losing sleep with a moral conscience that they're going, I am making that woman's life a misery. That's not how it's bred within a toxic environment because a toxic but I also think normalises that behaviour. <laughs> Absolutely, but I also think that once you take a leader out of the classroom and they have less classroom experience, they forget. Yeah. Whether that's on a conscious or a subconscious level, yeah. they forget what it's like having bottom set year nine on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. They, for they forget all those things that low-level behavior mm -hmm. can destroy because what a then lesson. happens is when you've got that person on the ground trying to battle with bottom set year nine on a friday afternoon and you know you've got that senior person on patrol that senior person doesn't come in as the bad guy and i've said this time and time again 
when that shifted and you get that senior person or that head of department coming and collecting that child, invariably what started to happen, and, and I'm going back seven or eight years ago since I was in the classroom, arm round them, tell me what was going on in the lesson. Did Come you feel challenged? What did yeah. Miss do? Come and sit down here and have a Kit Kat. And, and Absolutely. Disables it. But going back to that kind of toxic, that toxicity and that bullying, in the first instance, I think one of the things that happens, and I don't know if you agree with me here, but you can be being gaslit and you can be being bullied for about three months before you even realise it. Absolutely. You just get that feeling inside yourself, a knotted feeling where you think this isn't right. And what tends to happen is one minute they can be really, really nice to you. And then the next minute, you know, take the carpet from underneath you. But you write down really how that carpet's, <laughs> you write down how that carpet's been taken from under you and it doesn't actually look bad on paper. Mm. Because no, it doesn't. It's always small things, small little things. It's tone of voice. It's presence. Mm. It's not what is said. It is the way it's said. Yeah. It can be the roll of an eye. It can be a tut. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it can be having a conversation and they turn and walk away on you mid conversation and you're like, how's that happened? And when you write it down, it feels childish. Nothing. Yes. Yes. And you feel like if you go to somebody and say, this person was having a conversation with me and mid-conversation they turned and walked away. That you feel like a child on a playground. Yeah. And that person might say, well, I only had, you know, five minutes. I was on duty and I was doing a walk. Stop being so sensitive. Only... Stop yes. being oversensitive. This is school. <laughs> this is an... Or that's what she does all the time. It's not personal. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. People do justify so other what would you say behavior. to somebody stacy who who'd started to get that ick feeling that things were not as they should be okay so there's there's two sides of the coin to well-being and toxicity there is the teacher's own responsibility and there is the school's responsibility and you have to be aware that you have some power in this it is not all down to the school. If you are in a toxic school, it is very unlikely that anything is going to change. It really is. You know, there, there might be people that you can go and speak to, that you can have a second opinion on, and that's fantastic. But if you're in a really toxic school where people behave in that way and people excuse them, then it's very unlikely anything's going to change. But you have power, and I think the teachers forget that they have power too. Okay, so first of all, you need to log everything. You know, you have to, you have to build a picture and you have to log everything. Second of all, do you do that you need secretly? To... Do you just create that? Well, log you can, yourself? you can, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel that you have to either. You can say to people, I'm making a log of this. In schools, I have said in emails, I am sending this email as a, a paper trail. So I can keep records of a paper trail. Mm. And that in itself can either spare people into being nicer to you or spare them into being a little bit more devious. So we can work both ways, but you shouldn't have to feel that you do But doing one way or another, you've empowered yourself. Yes, I have empowered myself. And it's very important that people do. You log everything. You mm. log absolutely everything. You log other people's things that are happening that you hear about through the grapevine. But really, you concentrate on yourself. Mm 
you then look after yourself so you learn to say no to things and you stand by it and when you've done an hour in a meeting you say I've done an hour and now I'm leaving you then say I'm having my lunch because it's lunchtime and I'm going to the toilet and when somebody has a meeting with you and it runs through and it's going into your break you say I'm really sorry but I'm going to end this meeting now because I need to eat and I need to go to the toilet because I've got a class after lunch and if I stay here and carry on with this meeting I'm not going to get a chance to eat and I'm not going to get a chance to have lunch that sends an incredibly strong message it's not confrontational you know it's not impolite it's not unprofessional you have a right to have a lunch because let anybody to pull the you for that let anybody yeah. pull you for that they are screwed yeah, and you have to, and you have to, and those small things will send messages. And okay, in my experience, sometimes it's been like, oh, we have to watch it, you know, and that's life. But I would rather be the person that has to be watched than the person that they feel that they can come to and they can behave inappropriately towards with no repercussions whatsoever. And then you look for another job, whether you do your own job outside of teaching, whether you do supply, whether you do choosing. And it's not easy to move, but also it's not impossible. I have moved and I have moved and I have moved. And my mindset is, I did not go to university to end up in a job where I am bullied, I am undermined. And I have paid for the privilege of having this job for people to treat me like this, I would never accept anybody speak to me in this way outside of work. And I'm certainly not going to spend my work you'd life told, in a job. someone in a supermarket, if somebody spoke to you like that, Absolutely. you'd be like, hey, yeah. come here. And, and then like so. and you're in a school, you're like that, you're going crying in a stock cupboard because yes. somebody younger than you or old enough to be your mum has just totally... I think it's because we've no armour within the classroom. With a kid, we've got all our behaviour management strategies. When it comes to teacher to teacher, we don't expect it and we're not armed. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're we're not, but we can be. We really can be. And the problem that we have is that as teachers, you know, we're intelligent people. We've done well at school. We've been to university. We've been at that job interview and we've secured that job over all the other candidates. And then we allow people to war all over us and there becomes a culture of not saying no. Once one person says no, it empowers other people. And what, and you don't have to be unionized or, you know, you don't have to be radical, but you just have to say, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm sorry. I don't have time to do that. And the problem that we have is that we are labeled unprofessional. And if someone labels me unprofessional, well, actually, no, I'm not because I'm entitled to this and I'm entitled. And if you want me to work to rule, I, even on my own, I will work to rule because you have to take it. You have power mm. and teachers forget completely because they get so wrapped up in it and everybody's struggling and there's a little group of people. And I've been in a situation where a group of teachers have all got together. They've all made an agreement how we're all going to tackle this toxic behavior. And one by one by one by one, they all go. And it leaves two people standing, two people who are brave enough to step forward and say, this is not right. And everybody else turns, looks away, pretends they don't know anything about what's going on. 
and you lose the power that you have as a team mm. and ultimately we have fantastic teams and schools mm. and it's very rare that one person in this toxic school is experiencing all this bad yeah. thing it's very very there will always be people is, you mentioned that you talked about groups and you talked about cliques in the schools I've worked in, there have been constant cliques where those who are in and mm -hmm. those who are not, they almost become shielded from this toxicity. They're not because they can fall out of favour very, very Absolutely. quickly. But there's an in-crowd and that in-crowd supports what's happening mm -hmm. because... Do you know what happens? People feel inexperienced. A lot of the times people go to one job and they stay in the one job and then they feel de-skilled and oh if I leave here what am I going to do where am I going to go there's all the what ifs should have so, mm -hmm. so it's easier to join the clique or be part of the clique because they're the ones who get promoted they're the ones who are always smiling they're the ones who don't have any of this but ultimately like you say they can fall out of favour mm -hmm. just as quickly as anybody else and being in a clique is no armour at all. No, it's not. It really isn't. I've seen changes in leadership teams that come and go and all of a sudden the clique has been absolutely left mm. floundering. A um, new manager comes in and they'll bring their own management team with yeah. them. That, you know, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because um, I, think, I think to different places I've worked and, and in one place I remember very specifically people talking in terms of I'm going to be next. Wow, yes. see that? But they're sitting waiting for that say that yeah. I'm going to be next. What are they doing about it? What are what are they putting in place to make well, sure think, think that if I am next, is, I fight back? I think the problem here is, and the best thing I can I can I can really align it to is when you are in a very, very toxic, and let's face it, not just environment, but toxic relationship. Because Absolutely. it's not just the environment that's toxic. It's the relationships that have become toxic and you are, you are in an abused cycle. Mm -hmm. So when you are in a cycle of abuse and I'm not being dramatic, you are desperate to please that person to make it stop. Yeah. Okay. And that's the one strategy that you think you have to stop the abusive scenario that you're in. If I work harder, if I do what they've asked this time, this will stop and it will go back to, because this is the, the element of trauma bonding, it will go back to how it felt when they, they offered me the job. How I came well, this is why people, yeah, this is why people who are in these situations should go to an independent counsellor hmm. and even have, you know, one session, two sessions, and sit and say these things out loud and have an independent person who's not related to you, not related to anyone at the school, just reflect back to you. I what think, you I think one of the problems that's come, come to light over the last two weeks with the group that we're in is a lot of people felt utterly disempowered because they thought it was just a one-off that was happening to them. So they didn't think this was a phenomenon. They didn't think this was a thing. They just thought they touched really unlucky and they were in a bad place. I think... The, the more we realise that this is not just happening in one department, in one school, this is happening in organisations across the globe 
And it's not just... I'll tell you what, no, no. I'll tell you what, though, Sharon, if people think they're the only one, that is because they're not talking openly to yeah. other staff. That that is, you know, if you talk to your staff, and I know schools make it hard. You know, some schools have got rid of staff rooms yeah. and have made it really difficult. But if you just, you know, you dip your toe in the water. I had a really funny experience the other day, and I was having a talk with someone from management, and I just get a feeling that it's not quite something's not quite right. And then that person validates and says, "Oh, that person was the same with me." And then there you go, boom, it's open. You need that reflection. The most you you do, you absolutely do, especially when your mind is thinking, like you've said, you're in a toxic relationship, Mm -hmm. you're trying to please, you've been gaslighted, you feel it's only you. You need to speak to other people. You have to, because people will have the same experience. And the more that it's kept secret, the more that they get away with it. Yeah. The more that it happens. I remember going to my GP um, last year um, when I had my crisis and it was the first time that I articulated the whole thing or, you know, everything that had happened. She, bless her, she booked me a half hour appointment and I completely, um, excuse my language, but I completely lost my shit. I just, it all came out in between sobs and she was that incredulous. She was like, you're not you're not going back to that place you're not going back i'm not gonna let you (laughs) yeah and that's what you need but the the more you keep that inside the more that will tear you apart but what we've got got, but what we've got to look at is why why does this happen because one of the things that people want more than anything is why did this happen to me why was i the one that was picked on and it can be so many different reasons. And I've got a couple of theories as to why people are sat there going, why am I in this position? First and foremost, you could be too expensive. Uh, yes. Absolutely. You could be in a position in your school where you are too expensive and you sat there and they could get two for the price of you. Number yeah. one. Once you're on UPS, yeah. you're targeted. Okay. You know, I've seen it done before. The second one is, let's go back to that middle manager. And I've got this, I was talking to Sarah about this the other night. Have you ever heard of the Peter Principle? No. The Peter Principle was something that was looked at years in the 70s. And there's a guy called Lawrence Peter. And what he did was he said, within structural organizations like teaching, for example, people get promoted to the point where they are incompetent. So what happens is you start as a really, really good classroom teacher and you're vibrant and you're great. And that's actually what you are really, really good at because that's actually what you've been massively trained to do on a PGCE. So you come in with a bag of training behind you and you get noted and you get lots of plaudits and you get lots of praise. And all of a sudden, after about three years, you think, I'm going to go for second in department. Okay. And when you go for that second in department, right, what then happens is you get the job and actually you've become a little less competent than you were when you were super competent Uh, and you're not quite as great as you were because you've got more responsibility that you're not trained to do. So you think this doesn't feel as comfortable as it did when I was in the classroom. What do I do? I don't go back. 
So I'll go for a head of department in a couple of years. So you're promoting yourself to the point where eventually as an assistant head teacher, you are completely and utterly incompetent at the role you are doing. You are inefficient and incompetent, but you've risen through the ranks. So what do you do? You're in a conversation with the head teacher. You've got the ear of the deputy head. Do you stand up and do you say, actually, I am completely out of my depth? Absolutely not. So what you start to do is you create a smoke screen around yourself and you start to hurl the likes of me and you under the bus. Mm. And you start to say the reason why my department isn't running as well as it should is because Sharon won't mark a box. And Sharon's always the one kicking off in the staff room or Stacey's weak in the classroom. Mm. So if you create a smoke screen around yourself, that perpetuates... Yeah, but also to that middle manager, what training and help and support do they get because once they've taken on this role as second in department or head of department then it is well you applied for the job you said you could do it and the expectation is that you do this job and they might so give you a little more time home. on a timetable yeah. is yeah. two non-contact times but apart mm-hmm. from that you're now strategically managing a department which to be fair is a full-time job in itself and you're not in control of your CPD, which is one of the things that we've talked about, that, that your, your training is only done if it fits in with the overall school improvement plan and it contributes in some way to the objectives of the school. It's not about the person. Again, it's about... Well, I, think as soon as some, yeah, I think as soon as somebody takes on that responsibility, their relationship with their manager changes. Yeah, it really does change, and and then it is look at the data. Yeah, what do you see from this? And then the talking data, and then they're thinking all of a sudden, wow, I've this is like mm. this is big, mm. this is big, and I might only be getting paid an extra three grand. Is this really worth? You know, after tax, the fifteen hundred pound that I'm getting. What they can't do is they can't go back. Go down? No, they can't. So they, they can't keep say... going forward and forward and forward until eventually they end up with the head honcho's role, which is head teacher, and they are so beyond out of their depth. And this is something I think. This is something I've seen happen. The head teacher is so inept that they actually get bullied by the key deputy head in the school who has got a grip of everything that's going on, who is better skilled than they are, mm. and they become beholden. It just becomes this mess. Mm, but also, Sharon, they are they talk the talk. Yeah. If yeah. you are one of those head teachers, you talk the talk. And I have worked under a head teacher where somebody in the education department asked me about my opinion of this particular person. And my response was, it would be better if I didn't give a response. And their response to me was then, wow, 50% of people that I speak to about this person think they are amazing. And the other 50% of people that I speak to think that this person is absolutely awful. The people who think they are amazing are the ones who listen to them speak. And when they do their speeches and they go to these conferences, Mm -hmm. they talk the talk, Mm -hmm. right? And these people think they're marvellous. Wow, I would love to work under that head teacher. They sound amazing. Keep going, Stacey, the door. Okay. But the 50% of people who work under them, Mm. say worst head teacher i've ever worked under because, because it's it's the difference it, you've just described somebody who i worked with absolutely um 
a while ago, but yeah. And, and it's that difference between, and I think this is part of the, the NCTL, MPQH, um, you know, fast tracking people into senior positions. It's all kind of yeah, one, yeah. one size fits all. You're all taught the same things. You're all, I mean, I did my MPQH before it got really, I mean, I did it 11 years ago and it, and it was quite fluid at that point. But everything's about box ticking in terms of characteristics as a manager and the, you know this is how you do this this is how you do that and it's really easy if you're an educated person you can learn the right things to say but there's a massive difference between knowing the right things to say and saying it with power and actually then implementing and actioning it and and that's where that's where the 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 split hits isn't and if it? you yeah and if you focus on ticking them boxes what you do is you lose your natural ability to communicate with people yeah and to get in order to get the best out of people mm. we have to look after people yeah and once you get into management people forget that it's yeah. almost like I now have to tick all these boxes and I'm under pressure from somebody above me to have these boxes ticked. Yeah. Therefore, I will put on the pressure to the people underneath me who I need to tick the boxes. Whereas if we look after people, mm. the boxes will get ticked anyway. I, I think we fundamentally lose, unless, unless you're really conscious of it or unless you're a naturally, intrinsically empathetic person, um, you lose your ability to be human. And so you, we're all natural coaches. In, in conversation with friends, we naturally coach each other. If somebody's having a bad time, we talk them through it and we help them. You get to a, a position of middle leadership and you're going to go one way or the other. You're going to be a supportive, nurturing, coaching middle leader but you're then probably going to take some flack because you're not going to push deadlines and data and things like that because you see the people or you're going to become data deadlines all that sort of stuff yeah. in order to keep yourself on side with the people who are above you and and there's no middle ground there's no middle in my experience middle leaders are either perceived as too soft because they're human or they're doing the right thing for the school well actually that means that they're yeah not human. i've also i've also seen people who will speak lovely to their staff and and you know be a real people person and then off they toddle to their management and they relay everything back yeah and then the staff members get into trouble yeah. for speaking openly and then it becomes a trust issue mm -hmm. and who do we trust can we trust anybody why is my conversation that i've had being reported back to anybody mm -hmm. why are people watching me and listening to me and i just made a flippant remark to somebody and now i'm being hauled into the office and now i'm being asked to, to explain something i can't even remember when i said it yes yeah, and, the, and that's, the bit yeah. that used to be me. And you look across the desk and you realize they've got witness statements against you. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, 
when did this go on and that's not just gaslighting that's the equivalent of first blow Uh, that's your real punch in the face and you're like and also they will say uh, can you just pop in and have a chat for 10 minutes so don't advise you to bring anyone for support don't advise you to bring your union pop in for a chat sounds quite friendly Mm. I'll pop in for a chat until I'm on my way to the toilet. Allow that I'll once. just pop in. They do that once. once and then the next time you've asked to be popped in for a chat and they ask you at nine o'clock if you can come in at quarter past three, you spend the day written off mm. with your stomach churning yeah, as you to do. what is it now that you actually want from me. I have known teachers who have been asked to pop in for a chat and then afterwards when they've come out like bawling their eyes out and their first thought is I need to speak to the union. They've had their middle manager next to them saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's not as bad as it seems. Mm -hmm. And there's no need to go to your union because what will happen is it will just get worse. If you bring the union in, it will, it will but be. But you know what, Stacey? The union have got no bloody teeth anyway. And I think. Well, bringing... Sharon, to be fair, most of my unions, and I, you know, I've had the one union in the UK, and I've had a pretty good experience. Yeah, because whether I. Whether I'm not doing it for you, but in the main. Well, quite possibly. Quite possibly. But I have found, I have found really good union representation. How can we have and union it... reps who think it's okay to advise teachers to sign NDAs? No, Why no. is it okay that the only way it's you can not. leave with three months salary, which let's face it, is nothing if it renders you unemployable in another school with some lukewarm watered reference? Why are union reps saying, right, we've now gagged this person from even being able to talk openly about what's happened to herself? You said one of the things that you need more than anything is to be able to talk. Do, you do, and I would never sign. I could never sign. I know people do sign them, but I couldn't because I can't keep my mouth closed, and that's my. I know that's my. And what would have happened if they'd have said, "Well, you leave with no pay, or you leave with six months' pay if you sign an NDA"? Because that's how it's wrapped up. I know, I know, and it's very, very, very hard. So do you know what? You're on your knees. You're broken. You've been absolutely battered. And if you want any money to tide you over for the next six months, we're now going to make you sign a legal document. There should be like, um, I've said this for a while, there should be a cooling down clause with an NDA. Uh, Absolutely, there should be. Where you can go back after 12 weeks. Because you you are not. Let's face it, when you're in the position where you're signing an NDA, you're you're not of sound mind. No. You know, I'm sitting here saying I wouldn't sign one and, I, you know, but when you're not broken, sound mind, yeah, you're not yeah. of sound mind. You and really I don't aren't. And they take us signing documents at that. No, I, no, we shouldn't. And what's shouldn't. really, what's really hard is when you actually we talked about it on a big issue. You pinpoint it down now to that one person, that one man, that one one woman, who sat at home. And this is the bit that upsets me about teachers who are going through this in a toxic environment. It sours every part of their life. So even though they might only be in school on a Monday to Friday from nine till five, nine till four, the joy is sucked out of anything they do on a Sunday because they're thinking about going back on the Monday. Friday night is probably the only time they feel a level of elation because they've got through another week. And if you start to look at teachers' behaviours who are going through that, they start to drink 
they start to overeat, they start to smoke more, they start to engage in kind of like self-soothing behaviors that aren't right. And, and it's something that when, when you take it down to that level, it destroys your life. Yeah, it does. It really does. And the other problem is that when you're trying to explain to a friend who doesn't work in that environment, they will look at you and they will say, Sarah, why are you putting up with that? Yeah. Sharon, why do you let somebody Tell do to that F to you? Tell them to F off. Yeah. And, you know, there are there are workplaces, and we are from blue-collar backgrounds, and there are workplaces where a person would have got swore at, slapped, punched, yeah. punched. knocked out. Yeah. And, you know, imagine going back to some of the jobs we did as students. I was working in factories in the 90s. Yeah. If anybody had spoken to someone on the shop floor like that, they'd have been headbutted and they'd have been on the way exactly. off. Exactly, they'd just been decked. But you go, oh, this is not professional. So you can't speak to people outside the because profession. Because you know why? And I'll tell you people why. People don't it works understand. Like when you talk about standing up and what you can do, if you'd have started at the school, right? on day one, when you've been the successful candidate and they're all welcoming you with the flags, right? If they'd have gone, right, it's now day two, and all of a sudden that toxicity would have swapped up, swamped on you, uh, you'd go, whoa, and gone, because you're strong. Uh, yeah. It doesn't happen like that. It's a slow chip away. Where actually, you can be working in a place for three months and, and you're still questioning yourself. Am I, am I being... I've been paranoid. That, that can't be right. But what that slowly starts to do is creep in self-doubt. So at the point where you go, actually, I'm standing up to leave this meeting because I want something to eat. You've become so disempowered and so scared and so frightened that it's very, very You have, you have, that. but you have to take the power back mm -hmm. because they are not going to give you the power back. No. At no point in a toxic school are they going to say, Hey guys, it's 60 minutes. If you need to leave, you can leave. They are not going to do that. They are going to continue until they are finished. They will give you nothing. So and at the end of the day, you have to, you have to, you have to say no. You've talked about your toxic environments. You've talked about your top 10. Um, what's your top 10, Stacey? Um, of toxicity. Oh, I haven't even got my list with me now. I haven't got my list. Um, top, well, <laughs> top 10, top 10, top one is the head teacher. And when I very first started, I was very naive and thought, surely one person cannot build the whole culture of a school. Surely they can't. And actually they do. They really, really do. And before you get a job, do your research as much as you can. And if you hear anything about the head teacher that you do not like, just find another job. Don't even go for the interview. Withdraw your application. Just like, you know. But it's like hard you said, because it's like what you said. 50% think they're Billy Graham and Evangelical. And the other 50% actually are on the brink of taking them for constructive dismissal. It's really, yeah. really hard. Well, you've got you've got to try. If you don't try and you get, you know, it's good going in with rose tinted glasses. It really is. And sometimes that gets you through. Do you not but, feel, as you've gone from other schools, actually, your red flags and your warning signs become far quicker and far swifter? 
Well, that's why I'm being in, that's why I'm at school number 10, because yeah. yes, they do. And I get to a point now where I think first I'll give it a term mm. and I will see how I feel after the term. And if I get those feelings that I don't want to be here, I'm on the phone to the supply agency saying, do you have any long term vacancies coming up? And I am looking for jobs and I am searching for jobs and I am applying for jobs. And it's having the confidence to trust your intuition, isn't it? Trusting your gut. Really is. And you have to. You have to. Because what is not acceptable for you, somebody else might put up with. Yeah. And somebody may stay in a toxic school for a very long time. But that doesn't mean that you have to, too. Yeah, exactly. If you do not like it and you think, this is not for me, you you try and your you best. And you to plan an escape route. You do. That's what you... You do not... You know, I am very much like, I'm out of there. But I'm never silly enough just to walk out the door and never to go back. I've always got plan B, C, D and E. Yeah. You have to. You, we can't financially afford to just leave. Yeah. You can't. But you start applying for them jobs. You start sending your CV to other schools. If you want to stay in the school system, because there are lots of nice schools. I found one in the UK <laughs> and I found one. And I found one out here. There are nice schools and there are good schools. And it is, you know, the problem with teaching is that if you decide that you do not like that job or that school is not for you, you can't just leave. You've got to give, you know, oh. a terms notice. No, but what you can terms do notice. is you can change your mindset to it. And you, you can't can change your mindset. This isn't ever. This is yeah. going to serve me for A to B. Because well, you have to do that, Sharon. You have to. If you were going to survive, you have to. You can't keep saying, well, it's only 10 minutes from home yeah. and I can get I in like for... The kids. And I like the kids. And, and you know, me year eight, they don't like anybody else. And, yeah. and I've come so far with them. And, you know, and I can drop my child off at school on the way. And I, I, can, and I can leave at, you know, three o'clock and I'm home by quarter past three. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. You have to put your own mental well health, uh, mental yeah. health first. You but have that, to. That's that's where talking to to somebody else who's outside of that situation is important, isn't it? Because all of those things are self limiting beliefs that you've built up inside yourself that you that you've created to justify why you're allowing yourself to be well I, I can't get the salary I'm on a really good salary how am I going to leave this job you know is it really worth it are we not hearing from people who've said things like my salary has dropped however so have my stress levels and I am happier than I've ever been yeah, yeah. but whilst you're in the mindset of I've got to pay this and I've got to pay this and I've got to pay that actually I've been there. give up the job you probably save quite a bit in petrol, in clothing, in childcare. But one of the things I would say is if this is starting and you are feeling this or you are in the grip of it, go. Because you are... You have to, Sharon. You have to ultimately. You're it's not, not going to change. You're not no. going to... You either have to accept this is the way it is and then you have to build your I work with a woman. What am I going to do? Or you I have to leave. I worked with a woman who was sitting it out. She'd worked out how long the head teacher had got left. She was going to sit it out. As soon as that head teacher went, everything better the devil they know because then they replaced with somebody who just woof, made the old head teacher look like the best thing since last. 
do not tread water with the, with the most precious commodity you've got, which is time. Mm. Mm. The one thing you've got is time. And if you are sat there and it is making you ill, mm. you would not do yeah. anything that would, you'd not say, right, well, I go to work, but unfortunately there's massive asbestos there. It's making me ill. But I'm going to keep going. But it's all right because it's 10 minutes away from home. It's yeah. all right because I can get to pick my kids up. Why? You, but it's th- making you ill. But this is, this all then comes back to the difference between how people perceive physical health and mental health. And mental health. And absolutely. we, if, if you, exactly that, if you, you wouldn't go into an environment that was physically poisoning you but a toxic school environment does poison you. It just manifests in different ways. It manifests in aches and pains. It manifests in feeling sick. It manifests in headaches, uh, headaches and, and not sleeping and all those sorts of things, which in turn do long-term damage to you physically. But we accept that because there is there's still a stigma about talking about your mental health. Because we don't place a yeah. value on it. We've also got to make the people aware, though, that yes, it does make you ill. And yes, your mental health should be a priority. However, a toxic school will not think twice about destroying your career. Yeah. You are one person. Mm-hmm. And if they have to put you on capabilities and get you off and get you out, they will do it. So don't just think you can sit it out. My case was suspension. Well, yeah. Mine wasn't capability, if you remember. Mine was this trumped up kind of like nothingness. Whereas the week before, so many other people have been like, oh God, he's dropped that right one. Let's, Let's get on the phone and sort it out with the parent. Mine was, if you remember, Stacey, it was not reporting that someone had befriended an ex-pupil on Facebook. Yeah, I do remember that. An ex-pupil. An ex-pupil. Yeah. In, in an 2010, ex-pupil. when we didn't even have a social media policy, right? Yes. Now, what they did with me was went, got to yes. suspend whilst we investigate. And obviously, because the leadership team was so leaky, they said, clipper wings, Let's bring her back in after six weeks' tail between the legs. No, I And didn't. that's what they'll do. And that's, that's what, what they'll but do. What I did was, I went, I'm going off six months full pay with stress. Thank you. Couldn't even investigate it because I'd halted the investigation. And then I went six months half pay with stress. Well, that, well, that takes courage, doesn't it, to do that? Because oh, what they would have... At that point, yeah. you know when you've nothing to lose, you're just like... Yeah, but also there's a part of you inside that's going, I'm not going to walk into this school after six weeks Never and play again. their game. Ever yeah. again. So there's, there's, but you know no what, matter how rock bottom you are, you had that little bit inside of you that goes... Got, what they do then is you can't speak to anyone from the school. No, you can't. You're totally isolated. And the rumour mill goes nuts. Mm. I think because they won't say, and they don't even tell you why you've been suspended for the first God knows how long. So your mental health just goes boof. And what they are, because I was about, they said it was a safeguarding issue. I had no idea what I'd done. I thought it was, I was at four o'clock in the morning. Has a child taken their own life? Have I put, have I missed something where a child's been whatevered, right? Mm -hmm. 
And it was that I hadn't reported that somebody had accepted a friendship with an ex-pupil, right? And that was it. But that was enough to, to really wobble my reputation to the point where they were going, I think she's embezzled funds, she's stolen, she's cheated on course. All those things that could possibly be why someone would be suspended. So there's roots out. They either wobble you to the point where you just hemorrhage out because you're broken or I'm talking to um, a guy who you know who's talking about unfair dismissal Uh, yeah absolutely if they want if they want shut of you they'll find a way they'll find a way they'll find a way well I'm I'm currently looking into an unfair dismissal for myself as well because you know same things dismissal constructive constructive yeah because that's another one you walk with all I've information. you walk with all that information and the one thing you don't realize is you've got a limited window of opportunity to go back to a solicitor and say this is what happened to me and i resigned but the problem is if you've signed an nda you can't go for a constructive dismissal claim when it's so clear you have got reams of evidence for at least to be looked at and the reason why they get you to sign an NDA is because it would cost a school upward to about 60 grand to get a solicitor to defend. So they sign you off from talking, any form of constructive dismissal. And when you're well again in about six months' time, you go, how did that happen? Mm, yeah. It's true. It is true. It is very true. And that is why you have got to get your mindset. You know, you've got to give yourself a good talking to. No one else is going to do it for you. And that might sound really, really harsh, but nobody is going to help you, ultimately, if you're not helping yourself. If you're helping yourself, you will get help along the way because you'll find help and you'll find avenues and you'll find examples and you'll get the help. But if you're doing nothing and you just want somebody to come up one day and go, hey, and spill out all this stuff, it's not going to happen. Once you are the person who leaves the meeting, once you are the person who has the lunch, once you are the person who says no, people will come to you and they will confide in you and they will say things and you will empower people and you will empower yourself. But whilst you're sitting there and you're allowing this behaviour to happen to you, feeling powerless, nothing will happen. It will not change for you. And you know, my dear friend, we're going to leave it on that one for the time being. I agree. Because I think we just summed it up in a nutshell. And we've talked about this. Skill yourself up by going finding courses you can do. Empower yourself by saying no. And if anything, you can't change what's happening in the environment of a toxic school. But the one thing you can change is how you react to what is happening. That's it. Yeah. Stacey, huh? thanks ever so much for your time. Oh, I, want, you I want to do this again because you and I, can you imagine me and Stacey in the same school, Sarah? It was a nightmare. No, I don't know. I think I would have quite enjoyed watching that. <laughs> it was a red. Best piece, of, best piece of advice I ever got from this lady was, you wait it out, you write it all down, you log it all, you keep a note of everything, and then one day you've got them. And that's when you go for them. I, um, a long time ago, I think in my second job, 
a new deputy started about three years in and he wrote everything down in, in notebooks sequentially so there was never a gap everything every meeting every conversation with a child absolutely bloody everything and I was like that's genius because nobody can come back and say to you well you've made that up or you've because it's yeah. there and yeah. I and I did that so I've under my desk I have got about 10 years worth of notebooks and diaries where everything's recorded yeah, absolutely wow. everything. it's sad though yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very sad. It's very sad. But, but you have to. And uh, you forget stuff. And I, I tend to, I write stuff down and I go, oh, forgot about that. Oh, forgot about that. And I just keep adding stuff. And then when I look at the list, yeah, you go, wow. Yeah. It's not this one incident or these few. Yeah. It's, it's now a, it's a process. Yeah. Right, my friend. Thank All right. So I know you're busy. Enjoy Always your day. Busy. Thanks, Stace. Bye. 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 See you so that's our first episode. Three northern girls, one of whom's hiding in Australia, one who's stuck between Liverpool and Manchester, and one who's lurking on the edges of Manchester. I hope you enjoyed that um, and that you found it interesting to hear Stacey's story and to hear Sharon and I chatting with her. If you've got any suggestions about um, topics that you would like us to chat about in future episodes, then please do give us a shout and um, we look forward to hearing some feedback from you. Please like us, please follow us. Please share the podcast to anybody who you think is interested. It all helps. And um, if you do come back to us with some advice, please be gentle. Um, it is our first time and we are learning as we're going. Have a great week and we will speak to you soon.